Well, good morning. We're doing a series called Reset, and we're looking at the I am statements that Jesus claimed about himself. And today we're looking at when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Coming out of the message today, we're going to observe the Lord's Supper together. So what is so significant about what Jesus claims here? Why is this something that could be controversial? Well, I know there's lots of things that I could claim about myself, things that are true and things that are not true. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to play a game. So the game is I'm going to share four statements about me and you're going to guess which one's false and which one's the other three that are true. So here's the list. Which one is the false one? The first, I have a tattoo that is not visible. Second, I faint at the sight of blood. Third, I consider myself a garlic farmer. And four, I am colorblind. So which one of these statements is not true? I'll give you a second, but not too long. All right. So what we're going to do is I'm going to share which ones are the true ones and then leave you with the last one. So first, I do faint at the sight of blood. So please don't cut yourself in front of me. The second thing, I consider myself a garlic farmer. In fact, I have five types of garlic in, my, in the ground right now. And yes, I am colorblind. In fact, when I went into the office one time, I went up to Brent, Pastor Brent, and said, hey, we're twinsies when he had a pink V-neck t-shirt on, but mine was blue. So the false statement about me is that I do not have a tattoo. So thanks for playing with us this morning. So there's lots of things that I can claim about myself, some things that could be crazy and like I'm all-knowing and all-powerful and you'd think I'm a complete lunatic, wouldn't you? And you'd be right to think that. But Jesus here is sharing some things that are maybe crazy, especially to those standing around at the time when he was there on earth. But he actually proved it to be true. So what we're going to do is we're going to work through the uh, John chapter 11, and I'm going to share some of my, the summary of some of these verses because it's a long section. But I want to read some of these verses and slow down at certain parts. So if you have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, it's in John chapter 11. So here's the story. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus, and he was sick. And he has two sisters, Mary and Martha. You might know the story about Mary, about Mary and Martha, especially Mary when she poured perfume over Jesus' feet. So Lazarus is sick, and the two ladies sent word to Jesus, who is in a different town, to say, Lazarus is sick. But Jesus responds this way in verse 4. Jesus says, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. So Jesus does what anyone would do when their loved one was sick, right? Yep, Jesus actually waited two more days where he was. Wait, he waited two days when Lazarus was sick 
and possibly dying? That doesn't make sense, does it? But this is what Jesus does, and we're going to see why he did it later. So he waits two more days. Then he says, I'm going to go back to Judea, to where Lazarus was, where, and then this is where Jesus had a death warrant upon him. So this is maybe a little bit crazy to people around him. In fact, the disciples, maybe fearing for their own lives, thought this was crazy and responded just like this. They said, dude, you're going back there? That is nuts. That is crazy. Why would you go back there? This doesn't make sense. But Jesus says that Lazarus is asleep and that he needs to be woken. The disciples respond with, well, if he's sleeping, a lot of sicknesses can be cured by someone just sleeping it off, right? So that makes sense that they would respond like, sure, of course, but shouldn't he just get better? But Jesus was not talking about natural sleep. He was talking about death. So the disciples, they didn't really get it. So Jesus says clearly, guys, you don't get it. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Thomas says something crazy when he says, and it shows that he doesn't get it. He says, well, I think we should go too so that we may die with him. So he is completely unsure of what is going on. So Jesus arrives at Bethany in Judea, where Lazarus was, and Mary and Martha. Martha comes out to where he was as he was coming into the town in verse 21. She says, it says this, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. So Martha shows great faith here, doesn't she? Jesus says in verse 23, something that would have been strange to hear. He says, your brother will rise again. Now think about that. To hear Jesus say that about someone you loved. It would be all this emotion of figuring out what does he mean by that? But the response is interesting. She responds with, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Martha assumes she understands and tries to answer Jesus. And then Jesus comes out with his big statement in verse 25. He says this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So to really understand what he's saying, I want to insert some ideas of what these meanings, what he's saying in this, these meanings. So in verse 25, it says, I am the resurrection. So saying, I am the power and the life, the one who holds life and death. The one who believes in me will live spiritually, even though they die physically. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die spiritually. Do you believe this? So Martha says in verse 27, Well, you, you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. So by her response, she understands some of it. 
She understands what it means for life and salvation, that's for sure. But, but should, does she fully understand what is going on? Does she really know who Jesus is? Now, of course, I don't think anyone really understood who Jesus was at this point. What he was claiming to be here, it didn't really enter their minds. This, is, he was, some, this was beyond who they thought he was and what he was capable of. So the story continues. She goes and gets Mary, who, who says something almost identical. She, or, yeah, and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So Jesus asked, him, asked them where Lazarus was laid. And he weeps in John 11.35, which, for the record, isn't the shortest verse in the Bible, at least the English translation. Job 3.2 is, so that's something you can look up for later. So let's read John eleven thirty five to 37. It says this, Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, cannot he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? This whole weeping thing of Jesus has confused people. But I think it's because of what the Jews that were standing around at the time what they said afterwards, they said, see how he loved him? But Jesus was not just weeping for Lazarus. Yes, he was emotional about the situation, but he, was already, he already knew what was going to happen to Lazarus. He already knew that Lazarus was going to live. He was empathizing with the people. The words used in the original language for Jesus wept can be directly translated as this. He was enraged in spirit and troubled himself. There was a, 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 a sense of indig indignation and anger in his sorrow that isn't shown in the English translation of this. In fact, B.B. Warfield describes it as this. It is death that is the object of his wrath. And behind death, him who has the power of death and whom he has come into the world to destroy. Tears of sympathy may fill his eyes, but this is incidental. His soul is held by rage, and he advances to the tomb. This is very different than him just feeling an emotion around, around Lazarus, who he knows what was going to happen. He was going to live. Jesus knew this. So here we have a Jesus that is determined to put an end to it all, to, to reveal to us his power over life and death. Jesus is able to be the resurrection, the victor over sin and death, because he and the Father are one. That's a big claim. That's his claim. He and God the Father are one. Those around it doubted, those around doubted and wondered why he couldn't keep him from dying, but Timing doesn't stop Jesus. It doesn't stop Jesus. He is beyond time. He, although in human form, was also the eternal God. He was God in flesh, fully God and, and, and fully human. Jesus and God the Father are one. So in John eleven thirty eight 38 to 39, it says this. 
Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for days. So Jesus continues in the story by, ask, by asking them to take away the stone from the tomb. Of course, this was unheard of. To open a tomb so fresh, to break all the Jewish burial practices, to, ent- to, 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 re- to take that apart, this was unheard of. And the smell alone of the decaying body would overpower them after four days that he died. This is not only repulsive to those standing near, but it would have been impure for him to open that tomb. But that didn't stop, nor bother Jesus. So Lazarus is dead. Four days dead. So that's very dead. Some people have questioned whether or not he was really dead, but the significance of this is is vital. Jewish rabbinic tradition at the time was well known and and, and people would believe that the soul remained around the grave for three days, yearning to return to the body. So even in that tradition, there's no question that Lazarus was dead and final because it was four days. So Jesus responds to Martha, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? And so we read through the next verses of what happened. John eleven forty one to 44 says, So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So like sheep answering a shepherd's call, Lazarus comes out to the voice of the good shepherd. Jesus says this out loud so that everyone could hear what was going on. He calls Lazarus out as if, helping someone lost in a gloomy dungeon coming out of that cave loud enough and clear enough for him to know exactly where he needs to be and where he needs to go. But notice this. Jesus did not, did not ask God to raise Lazarus. He thanked him for already answering what he asked God or what he wanted to do because Jesus is one with the father He is the resurrection and the life. He has power over death. (laughs) Wow, what a miracle. A man fully dead, four days dead, brought back to life. So what does this passage mean for us today? The raising of Lazarus is is a display of his supernatural power. This passage is absolutely amazing. Why? Because we as humans can't beat death like that. We cannot bring back someone from the dead. We nor stop someone from dying eventually. We can medicate and help someone to live a little longer, but we can't stop them from dying altogether. 
But Jesus has the power and the authority to do it. Jesus knew that what we needed to see was a full expression of who he is. Something the disciples and even Martha couldn't quite see all of. He raised Lazarus because he desires to give eternal life to all who have faith in him. And as we prayed for Jim Turner earlier, he knows this as well. He knows that this is what Jesus wants for all of us. We are not only to experience resurrection on the last day, as Martha suggested, but it's something for us to experience here and now in him. And that's why Lazarus was raised. He didn't just avoid death, the death of Lazarus. Jesus confronts it and conquers it. I think Jesus is doing a precursor of his own death and resurrection, that he was foreshadowing what he was capable of doing and what he had authority to do, which is to rise himself from the grave. His saving work is totally integrated into his very being, and those who believe are uniting with him and his authority over life and death. It was his supreme demonstration of the power of eternal life that triumphed over death, corruption, and hopelessness. He, he is victorious and his ways are full of hope. So let's make this applicable here. Why does it matter for Jesus to be the resurrection and the life in a world full of COVID-19? You may be wondering that right now. Well, one thing we have all experienced is that we have no control over what happens in this uncertain time of COVID-19. Work or no work, whether we survive or not, these are some of the fears that may enter our minds and some of the realities that we have of some of our loved ones. But one thing I know for certain one thing that we can all be sure of, there's hope in Jesus and the power of his resurrection. This does not change. Though the storm of uncertainty could be swirling around us, hope will always stay the same. Jesus has the authority over life, your life. And he wants you to live life to the full. He does. So, will you respond like the disciples? Will you respond by not quite getting it, by, by not really wanting to engage too far, or just staying confused and not trying to pursue what is Jesus' meaning here? Or will you respond like Martha, who shows some faith and some understanding, but still falls short and doesn't understand? Or will you respond like Lazarus, who on the, the hearing of Jesus' voice, you come running out of the tomb? Will you respond like that, coming to him, maybe for the first time? He is the one who gives us new life and brings us out of ourselves and transforms us and gives us a future hope of life eternal. You know, my decision to follow Jesus started 24 years ago last Monday. That was the day, May 11th of 1996, that I decided to follow Jesus for the first time. Maybe... Maybe you're in that spot and you feel like this is the time for you to come to Jesus for the first time. 
Or maybe you need to return to Jesus. And that's something you need to do. It's a time for you to commit to Jesus and to, to, to trust in him and to follow him with your whole life, whether a big thing, like the first time, or smaller things. Maybe, you, maybe you've had an experience recently where you knew you needed to do something for him, so you fearlessly stepped out in faith and did it for him. Listen, the one who raised Lazarus, the one who raised himself from the grave, Jesus, he is the one that conquered sin and death for you. No matter what you face in life, if, you're, if your life is full of fear or worry or anxiety about the future or anything that cripples you, you know what those things are. They're very close to you, some of you. The one that says, I am the resurrection and the life, the one who holds the keys to life and death loves you. And his death for you and your sins was worth it for him. That same power that rose Jesus from the grave also was the same power that raised Lazarus. And the one, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, that rose Lazarus from the grave, he has paid your sin and gives you eternal life. But that same power is not a promise for later. No, it's a promise for now. Romans 8 verse 11 says this, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. What a promise. Listen, this is, this is what we have if we believe in Jesus. May we not live as anything else. May we not listen to the lies in our heads that say we're anything less. He did not die in vain. And we must represent in ourselves the full knowledge of his power. But some of you who are listening may, may not have Jesus in your life. Although you may not fully understand it, maybe your next step is to consider, like Martha, to try to understand something. Or maybe you're ready to respond like Lazarus. And you're ready, and this is time for you to step into a relationship with Jesus. Although you may not understand completely, you know you need to come to Jesus and let him lead you. And yes, you can experience this transformation today. You see, Jesus died and rose again so that the things we've done wrong could be paid for. We cannot pay for it ourselves. It's not possible for us to do anything that deserves God's grace or God's salvation. Only someone who could, did not sin could pay for it. So Jesus was the one to take the payment for us, and he willingly did this because he loves you. He wants a relationship with you and he wants to lead you, but you have to be willing to let him. Is this you today? If this is you, I want to lead you in a prayer of commitment to him. It is only fitting in this passage for Lazarus to come out of the grave and to experience new life. To give you the opportunity, if this is you, to experience real life with Jesus.
So if this is you, I want to lead you in a prayer. All you have to do is to say these words out loud where you are. So let's pray together. Jesus, I know that I need you. I believe that you died and rose again for my sin. I know that I could not pay it on my own. So thank you. Please forgive me for those things that I've done wrong. And I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And if you've done that commitment, I I challenge you and encourage you to just go onto our website. On our website in the bottom right-hand corner, there's a chat feature. And you can talk to some of our staff right now. You can talk to them and just maybe just type in, I made the commitment, something like that. And then they can start a conversation with you and they would love to pray with you if this is the first time that you've decided to follow Jesus. Or maybe it's another time you've decided to follow Jesus and you're deciding to follow him without abandon, just letting go of everything, abandoning yourself to Jesus. If that's you, just say, I made a commitment to Jesus today and I want to share it. And I encourage you to do that. What an amazing passage today, isn't it? What an amazing passage, an amazing Savior we have. At this time, we're going to take this morning's uh, Lord's Supper. And as you're prompted at the beginning of the service, I want you to distribute the elements at this time to those who are in your household. And as we do this, I want to spend a moment reflecting on on some of the things that maybe you, you want to to, to pray about and to ask God to, to surrender and to ask God to forgive you for. So we're going to just take a moment of silence, just where we're at, just to focus in on the payment that Jesus made for those sins and those things that you've maybe been carrying for way too long. You can be free right now. So let's, let's just pray together in silence. So we are to observe the Lord's Supper until the day that Jesus returns and he will return. We remember the sacrifice that he is for us. The bread represents Jesus' body given for us. Matthew 26, 26 says this, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and then he had given thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Let's take and eat of the bread together. The cup represents Jesus' blood shed for us. Matthew 26, 27 to 29 says this. Or 27 to 29. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to him saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for the sins, for many, for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, 
I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until they, that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's drink the cup, cup together at this time. Let's join in a word of prayer together. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice and that you are the resurrection and the life. You hold the authority of life and death and that brings us great comfort. You want us to live eternally and you have proven your authority and power over life and death. When we trust in you, we don't need to fear. For you are here with us, transforming us to become more and more like you. The one, the only hope we have is found in you. For those who have committed their life to you today, we thank you and praise you and give you the credit. May they know you and the power of your resurrection firsthand. May they feel your presence and know that you are there with them. May you also give them the courage to reach out to us here so that we may be able to help them in their new life with you. So may you lead us to the life everlasting, the life you have dominion over, the way of living that is full of life and hope and grace and mercy. We thank you for the awesome privilege of knowing you personally. It is through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.